0: Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. resource from the Gospel Coalition that we are taking advantage of. So again, those are at, the, uh, those are at our information table. Um, in the back. Throughout the room, there are Bibles on the floor. Um, If you don't have one uh, with you this morning, be that app or hard copy, feel free to take one of those. That's our gift to you. We'll be in Philippians chapter 2 as we consider um, our pillars, the pillars of Christ the King, um, vision of Christ the King and 2020. Uh, At least once a year, we like to take time to revisit the specific mission and vision of our Church. This is a local body of believers planted by the Lord in this community for this specific purpose for the purpose of making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. This is our mission. This is our goal. This is why we exist. For covenant members, um, this is an opportunity to refocus. Okay, so if you are a member here at Christ the King, this is an opportunity for you to step back and to reset because we all know kind of rhythms of year, right? Um, you begin with like these lofty goals and aspirations, and then over time uh, that you begin to kind of like Gray, right? Um, this is an opportunity to slow down and to step back and to recenter and for those who have um, maybe been joining us for some time exploring Christ the King, this is a chance to hear what we are about as I extend to you an invitation, an invitation to come alongside as we set our sights on this new year. All Christians. All Christians, each of us, are called by God to engage in gospel ministry. Now, I want you to think about the implications of that statement. All Christians are called by God to engage in the work of gospel ministry, a work that is assigned not to professional Christians alone right we tend to hear statements like that and go well i'm just like a normal like person i'm not a pastor like i'm not on church staff i'm not a full time missionary and so therefore there is certainly right there must be this 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 order right this hierarchy of what percentage of one's life is given to the work of gospel ministry does that make sense you guys following along with me here This is an idea that becomes really popular and really easy to buy into. Only when we search the scriptures, we find it absent of such a concept. Whether you're a, a student at any and every level, teacher, engineer, entrepreneur, a computer programmer, it doesn't matter. Each are by way of their position possession of the spirit of god called and equipped for the work of teaching the commands of christ that is the great commission This is what you are called into, and so I just rattled off six or seven professions there, but I want you to insert your own, and then I want you to say this. I want you to say, okay, by way of of this reality, regardless of what my profession or position in life is, I am, as a Christian, Christian, commissioned by God to engage in the work of gospel ministry. As a church, our desire is to come around a series of pillars, a series of of pillars that we believe assist in providing structure for our cooperation in accomplishing this mission. As members, the goal is to work together in unity, knowing that we can accomplish more as a body than we can alone. And so this morning, as we close out 2019, we find ourselves exploring Paul's letter to Christians in the Roman colony of Philippi for the purpose of encouragement. That's why Paul is, is writing. That's why Paul is pinning what Walt has already read for us this morning. Paul, the apostle, is extremely committed to this group of people. And we know this to be true by way of the contents of his letter as well as his history with them. As this group of people make up the first church that Paul planted in Europe recorded in Acts chapter 16 verses 6 through 40. But the relationship is much deeper than that. You see, it's one thing to say that Paul is committed to this group of people. It's a whole other thing when we understand the commitment of the people to Paul. The Philippian Christians are invested in Paul. After all, it's the generosity of these people in sending a financial gift contributing to Paul's ability to care for himself while imprisoned that led to his return correspondence. He sends this letter, not primarily, but but certainly an element of this is, in response to The Philippians sending this gift is to support and love him. We see in this letter to the Philippians a message of thanksgiving. A message of thanksgiving as well as insight into his, that being Paul's desire to send Timothy as well as Epaphroditus, who both exemplified the type of gospel-focused life that Paul is calling the Philippians towards. And then as we consider the the story of, of redemptive history that God is calling each one of us towards. Above all is Paul's exhortation towards commitment and passion for pressing on when you look at paul's epistles to the galatians and ephesians alongside this one there is a noticeable difference And that there are no real troubles that Paul is addressing through his writing here. There are various times in which Paul writes letters to address specific issues taking place in the life of the church, right? Life before text, right? Life before email. Hey, I love you guys. I care for you. What in the world is going on in this region and what has happened to the church, This is the way that Paul oftentimes writes. However, as we consider his letter to the Philippians, there are no false teachings to correct or leadership issues to speak against. Instead, the apostles' call is to live first and foremost as citizens of the kingdom of God. I want you to consider that because, again, we are parachuting into Philippians chapter 2 this morning. It It would be neglectful. For me to not provide for you some degree of context as to what Paul is doing here. In a a whole, as a whole, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. To look to the gospel. To define purpose and direction, to look to the gospel and the identity of the Christian as a son or daughter of God to inform how one lives. If we consider the whole of the letter, we can say this, yes, things are going really well. Paul talks of this. He highlights points of of encouragement that are taking place that have been relayed to him by way of Epaphroditus from Philippi. Hey, man, I hear things are going really well for you there. Uh, Here, in in, in the work that's taking place through the lives of, of each one of you, that the Lord is most faithful. However, Paul's encouragement is this. Do not slow down. Do not stop, but instead press on for this purpose, for this reality that informs for us the life and rhythm of the Christian For the gospel is too great a cause. Yes, things are going well. Things are not going off the rails in Philippi. There are not heretics that have worked their way into the church and are speaking out against clear biblical doctrines. Encouraging works-based faith as opposed to trust and belief in Christ and Christ alone for one's salvation. There aren't leaders who are, who are leading the fellowship astray. Instead, things are going well. But Paul says this, man, press on. Don't let up. Don't hear, man, things are going well. Therefore, let us rest on our, on our, on our morals. Therefore, let us rest in the work. Instead, keep going. Why? Well, because the gospel is too great a cause. The gospel is too great a work. There is too much to do, and Jesus Christ is worthy of it all. My goal over the next few minutes is to present the word of God as I encourage you to look towards it to shape your 2020 rhythms. Two observations. The first found in verses 1 through 4, and that is this, that the gospel encourages unity and faith and service to one another. The gospel encourages unity in faith and service to one another. The second in verses 5 through 11, the gospel displays the standard for humble service in Christ. We look to Jesus and we find the primary, the preeminent example, illustration of what it looks like to live what Paul is calling the Philippian Christians to. To live what God, by way of his word, is calling the Christians in this room to. We've got a lot to get to, so let's get started. Number one, the gospel encourages unity in faith and service to one another. Look with me at verse one there in Philippians chapter two. Paul writes this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul, as we look at these first two verses, is in no way doubting the presence of encouragement. He is in no way doubting the presence of participation in the spirit or affection and sympathy as realities in Christ and present within the congregation at Philippi. Instead, he does something really beautiful by way of language. He calls for thoughtful consideration from the people. As he presents that that two-letter conditional word, if, in verse 1. Look there with me again. Consider the wording that Paul leverages and how it begins to cause one's wheels to turn. It makes us think, even as we're sitting here this morning, so, Paul writes, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Complete my joy by having the same love. Complete my joy by being in full accord and of one mind. This says a lot about Paul's ultimate desire. You see, Paul's primary desire for these people is that they would live out their new identity in Christ for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom that is the the forward progression of the kingdom of god this is the instruction of paul he says listen like as you as you live this know that you are completing my joy because my joy is found in the sanctification of the people of god that is that you look more and more like jesus as you strive for kingdom advancement that is the the kingdom of god Pressing out against the world as he does the work of redeeming creation and all of those in it who would look to and cast themselves upon him. This is why he calls for them to complete his joy. Right, by, by taking up these gospel practices, practices made possible through the work of the Spirit in the human heart, practices that put his character, that is the character of God, on display in the world. Paul says this, that by embracing these, these practices, you are displaying to the world what our God is like. Because this is what he desires. How do we know that? Well, because we have other passages that inform it. Consider the writing of the psalmist in Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, the psalmist writes, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Or when brothers get along. Or when brothers are of like mind, of one accord. Moving and pressing forward in the same direction, a good direction defined by God, not the world. Peter does something similar in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, as he writes, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, be united, think the same direction, labor and strive together toward the same goals. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. One of our goals, again, just to be most clear, is to to consider the ways in which the values and mission of Christ the King provide some structure for us as we seek to move forward in this way. Here at Christ the King, for example, we celebrate and believe in the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. One God, three persons, existing from eternity past into eternity future in perfect unity. Paul's joy in the unification of the church at Philippi speaks of God to other people. The, the psalmist encourages uh, brothers to dwell together in unity because there is this recognition that as we do so, we are saying to the world outside, this is what God is like. Right? As, as Max Smith and I dwell together in unity. As Anna Montgomery and I dwell together and, and, and strive moving forward in Unity. We are able to, by way of our relationships and our connection, say to the world around us, this is what God is like. This is, this is who God is. God exists in and of himself within, within, within the Trinity in perfect unity. If that's true, then what does it say when there is a a lack of unity, when there is division within the body, when there is division among Christians? What does it say if, if, if Walt Green and I are at odds with one another, if there's disagreement? If we're not of of like mind, of one accord, what does it say to the world around? Well, it says, man, there is disunity within God himself because this is his bride and he is perfecting her. And we are a work in progress. We are certainly a work in progress. The church as an apologetic to the world. Right, the church as, as evidence of the realities of God and his commitment, his existence, that he is not myth or fable but that he is real and that he transforms hearts and minds. He knits them together in one accord all for his glory. C.S. Lewis said it like this. I think we have this to put up. Let's put this up just so that we can can follow along. Not that one, that one. We'll hit the other one in just a a minute. C.S. Lewis said it like this. True friends face in the same direction towards common projects, interests, and goals. True friendship. True friends moving together in the same direction, in one accord. So what Paul is encouraging for the church at Philippi, you're doing this, but continue doing this. Press on, lean in, embrace practice, live intentionally, knowing that it speaks of the goodness of God. In the miracle of new birth, John Piper writes, God removes both the hardness of the heart And the darkness of the mind. The word of the gospel penetrates the mind. And the spirit penetrates the heart. So that in the same instant the heart is freeing the mind from blindness. And the mind is fueling the heart with truth. And we are born again. And then listen to what Piper writes here. He says our minds and our hearts become new together. Man, how important is this point? It is most important. It is massively important. New birth informs the call. New birth informs the call from Paul to the Philippians. Apart from that, his instruction would be void of any opportunity for application. It would be like this. It would be like me employing you to hang the stars. to count and to number them, to, to name them, it would be impossible. Apart from new birth, the unity that Paul is calling for the church at Philippi to persist in, to continue in, would be an impossibility. Apart from new birth, the unity that I am encouraging you toward this morning would be an impossibility. Man, I mean, we have too much that is different Caring for different things and passionate about different things. How in the world are we to be unified? All of us unified, moving the same direction. Apart from the work of the gospel, you are right, man. We are in a terrible mess. Oh, but the gospel transforms our hearts. The gospel transforms our mind, the word of God informs, and now we as a new creation, citizens of his eternal kingdom, link arms together and move forward. For what? For God's glory and the progression of his kingdom. A unified force. This is the church, and in Christ there is opportunity. Look at what Paul writes in verse three. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What does it look like to apply what Paul's talking about here? Man, Paul here is 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 calling individuals to put on christ right to put on christ to to wear christ in the same way that i got up this morning right and rubbed the sleep out of my eyes as many of you did i right? brushed my teeth and and threw on a, a brown sweater right paul is encouraging the people of god to put on christ There's this this action, there's this participation, there's this intentionality. Every day, one waking up and putting on Christ. Paul's call is, is simple kill your self seeking desires. And move forward in humility. Now, it's a simple call, right? Like those words are not, are not difficult for all of us in this room, regardless of, of, of cognitive development, to understand. Those words make sense. You get what that means. Now, it's the application that becomes increasingly more difficult. But as we, the people of God, put on Christ, we must put off our old self. We must put off self-seeking desires and move forward in humility in order to move forward in unity. Did you get that? In order to move forward unified, we, the people of God, must move forward in humility. What does it look like? Well, Paul doesn't leave the Philippians, to speculate. God doesn't leave us to speculate, but he tells us exactly what this means. It means seeing the people around you as more significant than you are. It means seeing the person in front of or beside you this morning as more significant than you are. It means seeing the person across the room from you whose name you may not even know yet. As more significant than you are. For some of you, for some of us, this will require difficult conversations moving into this new year. Why? Well, because to apply the authorial intent of Philippians 2, Paul's intent, it would mean pursuing another and offering apology. Practically seeing someone else, acknowledging someone else, embracing this, this position that Paul is encouraging the Philippians towards. As more significant means saying, I'm sorry. Or maybe it means admitting bitterness or animosity that acts to suppress the type of relationship that Paul celebrates. The type of relationship that the gospel Produces. For what purpose? Again, let's step back and let's be reminded to say to the world, this is what Christ is like. Jared Wilson said it like this He says, Loving others isn't about us at all. Loving others isn't about us. And until that sinks in, we'll never be able to love the way that Christ truly loved. In order to see those around you as more significant than you, you have to realize that it is not about you. Ouch. <laughs> is everybody okay? It's not about you, it's not about your it's not about your preferences. It's not about whether you were whether you were right. Instead, it's about it's about loving the way that Christ loves in an effort to display to the world what Christ is like. The gospel encourages unity and faith and service to one another. Not only that, but as we have alluded to, the gospel displays the standard for humble service in Christ. Look with me at verses 5 through 11. Paul says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in and of yourself, because of who you are, because you're so wonderful. No, that's not what he says at all. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Again, there's the, the connection, isn't it? Like apart from a redeemed heart and a, and a redeemed mind, this is not the natural tendency of man. This isn't your natural desire. This isn't your natural inclination. Verse 6, Who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ, our king, lays aside certain divine rights that he possesses as the king of creation in order to enter into our world and rescue us. Merry Christmas, right? It sounds like we're at Christmas again. It's not, we just put the tree up, right? We just put the tree up, put the ornaments back on. The lights are on. The presents are under the tree. We're back at the incarnation. So Jesus does what Jesus says by way of his entrance into the world. Therefore, verse nine, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Verse 10, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. This is the reality. And every tongue confess. Heaven and earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. To the glory of God, the Father, God is most interested in this realization, this comprehension of His glory extending out into the world, isn't He? I mean you think back to to creation, this is God's desire in creation, right He, he forms man, right and woman and he gives them dominion over the garden and He commissions them to like be fruitful and multiply. As mirrors, those reflecting the character of God, to be about the work of creating more mirrors of his character. Why? Well, because he is committed to filling the earth with the knowledge of his glory. This isn't a new plan. This isn't a New Testament plan. But it's a, as I heard a brother say last week, it's a two Testament plan. God filling creation with the knowledge of his glory. He does this now as he rescues the rebellious through Christ. He opens our eyes to our sin. Right, he opens our eyes to our, to our need and he, in his kindness calls us into his fold. That's one of the most beautiful pictures of, of God in the scriptures is this, is this shepherd, right? Christ defined it and understood to be the shepherd of his people who, who calls his sheep, who searches out his sheep, who shakes the thickets in order to retrieve his sheep. Why? To save us, to redeem us, to transform us, to glorify himself, to show the world how amazing and beautiful he is. Christ Jesus takes on the form of a servant. He embraces humility and obedience to death. Through this, the father glorifies himself as he saves sinners. That includes you and I. Christ saves us as he now serves as our example. And he, he gave his life for us so that we may now give our lives to him, confident that as D.L. Moody so eloquently stated, he can do more with it than we can. From the beginning here at Christ the King, we have looked to four pillars to shape and to guard our philosophy of ministry. To kind of guide us in what we do and what we are what we are about. Four pillars that serve to steer our emphasis. Our desire as a as a church is corporate adoption of these pillars as we move forward in obedience to the instruction of the Lord. Our desire is that the members of this church and those desiring to be members of this church would be about embracing these four pillars. Number one, gospel centrality. Number two, gospel engagement. Number three, diversity. And number four, simplicity. See, there was this desire as we began to see the groundwork laid for this church to establish these, these pillars— Right, these, these values from the beginning that would serve to inform the way that we function as we grow, so that we could say, right, that this is, this is what we feel as though God has called us to as a local body, and we invite you to come in and to be a part of this work. Our desire is that, that the, the body here at Christ the King would embrace these values. Understanding that as we move forward in unity, there is more that is able to be accomplished. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to go through each one of these. Um, Let's go back to the beginning. I want us to go through each one of these, and I want us to talk a little bit about what they mean. Paul's encouragement to the Philippians is to move forward unified. One spirit, of one mind. These serve to unify our minds and our spirits. They provide direction for us. They're guardrails. An instruction. Number one, gospel centrality. What in the world does that mean? Well, here's what we mean when we talk about, about gospel centrality. Simply put, the gospel informs all that we say and all that we do. From our preaching to the way that we live in small groups to the order of our service here at Christ the King, our desire is to magnify and adore Jesus. This is what we are about. Jesus is our strength and motivation for ministry We don't exist for ourselves But we exist for Christ And we desire to see those who do not know him To come to celebrate How amazingly beautiful and kind he is It's the cause of Christ that we unite around We don't have this like, this, like agenda Do you get that? We don't have an agenda. Like, our agenda is God's agenda. That's what we want to be about. Jesus is our strength and motivation for ministry, and it is the cause of Christ that we unite around. It is the glory of Jesus that we rally for, not simply here, though especially here, but out there in the world, in conversation, gospel centrality, in relationship, gospel centrality, in our decision-making. Gospel centrality. Think of it like this, right? That the the gospel is our city center. We're kind of familiar with the way that cities work, even though we live in a in a, in a small, very eclectic college community. Right? That there are these centers, that there are these hubs, and in these in these centers and in these hubs, life happens. Right? There's, there's, there's art, and there's gathering, and there's relationships, and there's conversation, and there's music. And, and then in these centers, life just seems to happen. Things grow, and they flourish. Man, the gospel is our city center. It is our downtown. Everything revolves around the gospel, the good news that our God has entered into the world to live the life that we would not live to die the death that we would not die, to purchase for us a reward that we did not want, but one that is alone capable of bringing the satisfaction and joy that we search for. We are about gospel centrality. We are about gospel centrality as a church. But our desire is that you would embrace gospel centrality for your life. That's where the transformation happens. That's where the transformation of our communities and our, and our homes and our schools and our workplaces happen as you embrace gospel centrality in your everyday life. Here, this morning, we're coming and we're refocusing, right? Because, it, again, it becomes so easy to just go about daily rhythm that you lose sight that that's what it's all about. It becomes more about a paycheck, Or just like surviving. And I get it, man. Like, I get it. Life is hard. (laughs) And everybody's having a bad time, right? This is an opportunity to refocus. The gospel has changed us. The gospel transforms us. Jesus takes captive our affections and he makes them something new. So that we can be about the work of, of centering our lives on the gospel. Jesus has done the work. Now let us move forward in obedience. What does it look like in your, your place of employment? What does it look like as you as you talk and engage with your boss or your coworkers or your professors? What does it look like as you, like, try to figure out what you're doing, like, with your life? Anybody about that in this room? Like, certainly. I have no idea what I'm doing, right? Here's a great place to start, all right? Not monster.com, right? But instead with the gospel. All right, to start with the gospel and to say, God, what do you desire from the life of, of your servant? What do you desire from the lives of your people? Are we together? you guys getting this? Have, like, have we got the point? Amen. Let's move on to number 2. Gospel centrality, that's where we begin and then we move forward into gospel engagement. What does this mean? Well, to individually and corporately engage our community and the world with the message of Jesus. We do this in a couple of ways, right? We we make disciples. Well what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, in order to be about the work of making disciples, there is a real need to familiarize ourselves with with the message of God to the world, right? So like naturally, like we must be a people of the book. We love the book. I mean, I've already this morning, and by book I mean Bible, just to catch us all up. We're not talking about the Harry Potter series here, right? We're people of the book. We love God's word We've already plugged this morning. Like our Bible reading plan encouraged you man. Be, be about like eating and feasting upon the word of the Lord this year. We got to know God in his word to be about the work of making disciples. We've got to identify and be willing it to enter into at times potentially awkward conversations. I'll never forget a, a story that I heard a number of years ago from the from a well-known pastor uh, who was talking about as a high school student, the way that he became a Christian. And he talked about how um, he moved into this new community and he joined the football team because like it was uh, in the Southeast and like, that's what you do. Right. And so he joined the football team and he walked in and he's kind of like trying to figure out where his helmets go and like pads fit, right. All these type of things. And uh, one of the biggest guys on the team, an upperclassman walked up to him and he said, Hey man, like, so you're new. Like, this is my name. We need to talk about Jesus. Like, you want to do that now? or you want to do that later? Like that's kind of the way that it happened, right? And he goes, man, it was just incredible. It's so bold and like, dude became a Christian. Like the Lord's now using him to like make more and more disciples, like a massive number of disciples, like in the United States. You're willing to enter into awkward conversations when you embrace gospel centrality and gospel and engagement. You understand these things drive and inform the way that we live. You just go, all right, man, this can be a little bit awkward sometimes, but like I'm totally on board. I'll wear that hat. I'm totally cool with it gospel engagement, making disciples and planting churches. We are a church plant. We're a three-year-old church plant, man. And here's what we are committed to. We are committed to like healthy, natural, organic growth. What does that mean? It means that we aren't like shooting rockets right off over the church every Sunday morning. Like it's just not happening. Here's what we're encouraging the people of God that are a part of this local fellowship to be about. man: Go out and live the incarnational missional life. You've been saved, you've been rescued, you've been set free. Now you go into your spheres and you share the news of what Christ has done for sinners. Gospel engagement. We desire to to advocate for the planting of healthy churches, the desire to see Jesus made much of, the desire to see the lost be saved by way of the power of the gospel. We are all about the everyday things of life with gospel intentionality. I'm trying to sell this to you. Are you getting it? Like maybe I should have wore like a used car salesman suit this morning. Like I'm selling this to you. Be about the work. There's a real tangible need for restoration here in our community. A.W. Tozer said it like this. He said, modern Christians hope to save the world by being like it, but it will never work. The church's power over the world springs out of her unlikeness to it, never from her integration into it. There's a sign in Portland, Oregon that's uh, that's really familiar. It's painted on this black wall and it's big white letters and it says, keep Portland weird. Have you seen this before? It's kind of like iconic. Like if you go out West or to Portland, I mean, you gotta go get a picture in front of the sign. Simon Shumake knows what I'm talking about. Here's what we're saying, right? That that there is a a real desire to keep Christianity weird, right? That, That we are a unique people sent into a broken world. That God commissions us and strengthens us and sends us to proclaim the gospel in order to like make more and more people weird. It's really it's really incredible it's really beautiful number 3 We're working through these quicker at this point, so hang with me. Number three, diversity. I mean, it's our desire to mirror heaven by having members from all backgrounds, generational, gender, ethnic, socioeconomic, diversity, all things that we desire. This has been a point of emphasis from the beginning for our church. We live, whether you realize it or not, in a diverse community. And we believe wholeheartedly in the gospel's ability to transcend potential barriers to friendship and connection as people. People from all backgrounds unite around a common love for Christ. That was a mouthful. Here it is in short. There's a lot of things that are different about us. But we have the most important thing in common. For some of you in this room, you have more in common with the person next to you. Or on the other side of the room from you than you do with your own parents. Why? Well, because you're both Christians. This is what the gospel accomplishes. And it is my desire that your, that our personal relationships would display this and that it would lead to our gatherings displaying this. Right, That you would have friendships with those different than you in each of these ways. And that as you invite those in your circles to follow Jesus and come here and celebrate Jesus, that this would be reflected at Christ the King. All as a testimony to the work of God to gather together the nations. And finally, simplicity. We are about simplicity. We strive towards a deeper knowledge, commitment, and connection to Christ. We do this as we make a home in his word. We do this as we, as we pray and observe communion, fellowship, and sing together. Our emphasis is gospel transformation in the lives of people and membership into both the universal and local church. From Philippians chapter 2, Paul call, Paul's call is to embrace unity and to embrace humility. that belong to the Christian in Christ. As we seek to live out our new citizenship as exiles in this world, having our eyes opened to sin and salvation through Christ, obedience and labor in this task, enabled through the obedience and labor of Christ to this task. So here's the question that we kind of begin to close with, right? What does it look like for you? What does it look like for you and your family? What does it look like for you and your friends to adopt this mentality in this next year? This past week, I read a a really helpful article by a man named Daniel Darling, who works as the vice president of communications at the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission where he talked about approaching Christ in the new year because we are on the precipice of a new year, aren't we? And it's a big one because we're like 2020, all the people selling glasses for New Year's Eve get that this is a really big one, right? In his article, he emphasizes four ways that the Christian can um, engage uh, in greater consistency with Christ in the new year. He highlights four. I'm going to give you a little bit more detail for one, but I'll give you all four of them. Um, he says, number one, remember the faithfulness of God. As you go into 2020, man, remember that God is is faithful. Number two, repent in order to refocus on Christ. Call sin, sin, turn from it, and look to Jesus. Number three, um, renew. And number four, rest. I want to focus in on um, renewal in an effort to drive home our point and what I believe to be Paul's point this morning. Daniel writes this of of the call to renew, renew in 2020. I think the article is actually from 96, not nearly as cool, right? When you consider the way that lays out, he says this, he says, the new year should be a time of renewing old commitments like marriage and and family and church before we begin grand plans to lose weight or develop a new skill, good, good goals, right? Let's begin by renewing the core commitments that we already have. Our most vital work is what we do within the walls of our homes, loving our spouses and raising our children in an atmosphere of of godliness and grace. We live out the gospel best when we live it out in the daily rhythms of repentance and forgiveness with loved ones. We must reject the lie that says success requires abandoning family commitments. We should also renew ourselves to the faithful body, life of our local Bible-treasuring, gospel-preaching church. The local church is the, local, uh, is, is, the, is the focus of God's mission in the world, where we gather in community to declare Christ's kingship each week. And where we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, as it would have it, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Commitments to marriage, family, and and church don't always look or feel significant. Now, this is the last part. I read all of that to get to this. You say, why don't you just read that? Context, man. Context is important. He he says this as he closes. But faithfulness in these core things over a long period is a radical, countercultural life. They form the habits of a disciple and show the world what it looks like to be a Christian. This morning, in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2, Paul does an incredible work to paint a picture for us of what it looks like to live as a Christian, or what it means to, to be a Christian shaping and informing the desires of the Christian heart, a heart that has been so transformed. Perhaps you hear this this morning and you go, man, I got a major problem in that nothing that Paul has talked about and nothing that you have said um, is is naturally or has been a desire of my heart. Now, what a, a glorious realization for you to come to. Because it says one of two things, either like number one, like you are lost in your sin and you need to look to Jesus, right? That your heart is hard, but oh, there is hope because it appears as though your eyes are being opened. Embrace humility, right? Look to Jesus to uh, and for forgiveness. That's option number one. The second option is, is this, right, that, um, that perhaps w- you are in real need of this refocusing, as I think all of us are. I know I read through this, and I'm like, man, I need to be reminded to refocus. I needed this this week. Like I needed to be reminded of the, of this, the call to die to self and to put on Christ, to dwell together in unity, to move forward in mission. I needed that call. Did you need it too? I think that's the question that we have to ask. If you're here and you're going, man, I'm a Christian, but I'm not entirely sure what it, what it looks like. Paul lays a, a firm foundation for us this morning. He calls us to a type of life that apart from the miraculous work of the Spirit is an impossibility. Or you can't do it. But then he says, great news. Or like, I have. I have. All of this is is personified and fulfilled in Christ. And so so look to him and and rely on him, trust in him to do the work of renewing our hearts and renewing our minds. Uniting us together in this common bond as we move forward, desiring to see. Here it is. Let's close with this. This is what we're moving forward and, and out into the world with. Desiring to see the name of Jesus made much of. Jesus saturation in our community. Jesus saturation in our home. We are united in this task. We are united in this goal. Gospel centrality, gospel engagement, diversity and simplicity. What a great reminder this morning as we move into the new year as to what we are about as the people of God. As the band comes to play, um... I want to pray, and in just a moment, we're going to come, and we're going to take of the Lord's Supper, which we do every week, and this is a time of, of sweet fellowship for the people of God. This is a time in which we actually enjoy. This is really unique, and this is one of those keep Christianity weird things, right? Um, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God. He lives in us, and so as we come to the table remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross, Purchasing our souls, remembering and, and being reminded of the, the reality of his bodily resurrection and his promise to return. We are, because the Spirit lives in us, enjoying, here it is, listen to this, it's this important, divine fellowship with God. It's a taste, right? But because the Spirit of God lives within us, we are, in, in this strange way, like even now, feasting with God. It's incredible. It's a foretaste because we know one day, um, I, I think maybe, I don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe there's going to be a longer table. I don't know. Um, but we're all going to be together, and Jesus is going to be there, right? And this is, this is a foreshadowing to that. Um, but we enjoy an element of it now in that we eat with the Lord because the Spirit lives in us, and we eat with one another. And so let's come unified enjoying the presence of the spirit in the people of God and enjoying the encouragement that we receive as we take part of this meal with one another. This sets us on a trajectory to sing. Well, that's why we close with a song because we have cause for celebration, right? So let's remember that as we come to the table, as we give our gifts, as we give our tithes and our offerings, God has been generous to us. And therefore we live generous lives. What a great reminder. What a stellar reminder the gospel does and produces all of this. Let's pray together as we prepare to come. God, you are, um, you are good, and you love us, and you rescue us, and you have provided us with your word so that we can, um, we can read it. And you've provided us with your spirit so that we can comprehend it, so that we can like apply it to our lives. We don't just read it and uh, And kind of like leave it there, but we, we read it, and then we apply it to our lives we 're able to do so because you live in us, and that is just incredible and so thank you for saving us and thank you for indwelling us um, and thank you for strengthening and commissioning us to be about the work of living mission. Uh, may this what we are about to do be an encouragement to the heart of the people of God, and a testimony to those who are here who who may not yet know you that There is this unity that we exist in, that we are on the same team, that we are co-laborers, that we go out into the world on mission, seeking to center our lives on the gospel, living this, this radical type of life with other people. What an incredible encouragement. Encourage our hearts, convict our hearts, mold and shape our hearts as we come and take of these elements and help us to sing. You are a God who is is worthy of our worship. And so help us to sing well this morning. We love you and we're grateful that you have loved us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you come as we take of the Lord's Supper, as we give of our tithes and offerings, as we prepare to sing.